evening and welcome to the Syracuse class. This is a school and not a church, neither are we affiliated with any religious organizations. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization that is dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh or Elohim and the operation of its eternal purpose, pattern and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We're incorporated in the state of California in 1958. And since that time, we have established branch schools across the United States, Canada, and other foreign countries. The Syracuse branch is established in 1969. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Syracuse Branch, Dr. Patrick Trevison. Now in this school and throughout the lecture this evening, we'll be using the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of your Heavenly Father is Yahweh. This has been improperly substituted in most Bibles with the title Lord. The word or son used a divine title Elohim. This has been uh, substituted in most Bibles with the title God. And the name of the Holy Spirit manifesting in or out of a physical body is Yahshua Messiah. This has been erroneously substituted with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. We now know each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means Elohim is a title that your creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it's an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part into encyclopedia dictionary would prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language contain any character or letter in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by the letter J. Neither was there a J in the English language until some 1,400 years after the death of the Messiah. Therefore, making such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible and untrue renderings of the true name of the Father and the Son. Christ is a title, just like Lord and God. Now, Yahweh, our Heavenly Father, is pure spirit. And in this pure spirit state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because the cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. And if you take a look at this chart, you'll see that we have the fiery cloud painted all the way around the edges of the chart so that everything on the chart is within that fiery cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within this pure spirit state of Yahweh. And Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, takes on shape and takes on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being, that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. 
this visionary shape and form can only be seen by divine vision and only understood by divine revelation. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in the physical body known as Yahshua the Messiah, whom the world has come to know erroneously as Jesus Christ. Now, there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question we should ask ourselves is what was the name of the Messiah during the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of his name and title may be had by reading a preface to a holy name Bible. Now, also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. We call it a divine pattern because this is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness of Sinai, Sinai excuse me, then took Moses on top of Mount Sinai and revealed this tabernacle pattern to him in a vision. Moses was instructed to return to the wilderness and build one exactly as he had seen in the mount. This tabernacle pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court round about. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. And in this school, we show how, these, how everything is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. Now, in the school, you have 10 primary constitutional aims or objectives. They are as follows. First, to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua Messiah, without the distinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third, is to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth is to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Fifth is to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seventh, to discern and, av and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eighth, to earnestly contend with the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained there is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. Tenth, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the newer state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is to speak the truth. And I'd like to have this evening's meeting dedicated with a prayer by Dr. Carm Warren. That'll be followed by our scripture reading which is Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 16. Our scripture readers, <clears throat> excuse me, our scripture readers tonight are Dr. Linda Volpe and Dr. Dave Frankowski, both from Oceanside class. Good evening, class. Let's bow in our hearts and minds. I'd like to give thanks to Yashua for having gathered us all together here tonight.
so the truth can be preached, the true gospel of the kingdom. We want to thank him for all the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. And we are so humbled that he has called us and chosen us out of the world. We hope everyone tonight is edified in that Yahshua receives the glory and that everyone leaves with a little more understanding that they, than what they came here with and that the people on YouTube will be edified as well. And with that, let us all say hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good afternoon and good evening to everyone. Tonight's scripture reading will be read out of the King James Version of the Bible, and I will be inserting the proper names where applicable. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 16. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of Yahweh, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto Yahweh a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Yahweh testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because Yahweh had translated him. For before his translation, translation, he had this testimony that he pleased Yahweh. But, faith, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to Yahweh must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of Yahweh of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is Yahweh. Through faith also Sarah re herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly 
if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore Yahweh is not ashamed to be called their Elohim, for he hath prepared for them a city. That was Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 16. And thank you, Dr. Frankowski and Dr. Karen Warren. And we'll probably have a three-speaker format this evening. And you'll um, someone will tell you when you've got a five-minute uh, warning. It'll be a voice. You'll hear it. And for our first speaker, I'd like to introduce from our Oceanside class, Dr. Linda Volpe. And I will assist Dave in reading. Hi, good evening. Good evening. It's great to be with everybody and to be a part of the gospel of Yahshua the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I speak for most of us or all, I should say all of us, that we look forward to the preaching of the gospel and coming down and communing with the brethren in truth that Yahshua has bestowed upon us. And that's what's so different about this gospel than what's in the world, because just the scripture is perfect uh, examples of that, but that the world has, you know, Jesus and Allah and all those. And, and you see a lot of faith in people that are, you know, that don't have this truth, but it's not faith according to knowledge. It's, mm -hmm. it's more of a blind faith. And that's their, that's what they hang on to in this world, because that's all they have to hang on to. And, you know, like, like Chuck had said the other day that some of them have more of a zeal than it seems like we do in some ways, but it's not according to knowledge. And once you come down to this gospel and start learning that your creator is real and that he has a name and that he has a purpose and plan and operation. You know, those are just those words that I said right there are just mind blowing really. Mm -hmm. And you come down here and you slowly are being made aware of, first of all, that there is a God and his name is Yahweh and there, and there is a savior, a real savior, as known as Yahshua, who is Yahweh himself coming down into his creation. And that is such stability because to know that your creator does exist and has a purpose of salvation is just so comforting. And it gives us comfort and peace in our everyday life. And, you know, trying to... Uh, whether the things that are going on in this creation that are pretty brutal. And, you know, I, th I think about that a lot because, you know, a lot of times people think that, you know, the, that the creation's out of control or that God is weak, you know, because all these things are happening. And that's, that's totally not the case because Yahweh is spirit. And uh, they, and it, the scripture, there's a scripture that says Yahweh is spirit and he that worships him, uh, worships him in spirit and in truth. And so how do you know how to worship him in spirit and in truth if you have no way of doing it on your own? 
you can't just read the Bible. You can't just decide you want to um, know something about your creator. I mean, people are very diligent in reading the Bible, and I'm sure it's extremely comforting to most people, some of the things. But, you know, if you really read a lot of this, there's so much in here that it just seems like not real uh, pertinent to to your faith or not, you know, like a lot of the Old Testament, you know, like a lot of the religions just have, you know, they, they pretty much focus on the New Testament, which is the love part of the Bible. And yeah, and Jesus, they would call him, which his name really is Joshua, coming down and, um, uh, you know, and having love and forgiveness and all those kinds of things. And Yahshua does, is that, Yahshua is justice. He's, he's love. He's all those things, but there's an old Testament that you have to reconcile. And, you know, people are like, Oh, that, that old Testament God's really, you know, really mean and, and murdering people and all that kind of stuff. And it is hard, you know, and, and you think about it, but once you come into this class, it's it totally ex, it's explained in itself because like people would think, say, for instance, you know, there's these all these tragedies, like just the thing the, that happened in uh, Libya and Morocco and all those, those tragedies that are going on that are just horrendous. And, you know, you're just like, oh, you know, people that don't have a knowledge and understanding of the creator and operation. Um, that's a pretty hard thing. And it's hard for us, even though we understand it. I mean, it's just a terrible thing to watch these things. But I started to think about it a while back when it was, you know, you think, well, and then people would be like, how could, how could God let things happen to babies? And, and the, it's like, yeah, I understand that whole thing. And I started to think about it a lot. And it made me um, kind of meditate on the fact that we're looking at physical bodies and, you know, these, like there was how many, many thousands of physical bodies killed in each thing that's going on. And it's like, it's physical bodies and flesh and blood. Yahshua and Yahweh don't, I mean, it's not that they don't care about it, but it's not important. It's the soul that's inside of the body. And there's, you can't kill that soul because it's eternal. And so you look at all these things with all these physical bodies being killed. And if you really think about it, and if you, if you open your mind up to the fact that Yahweh is spirit and actually get us, uh, if you could ask, uh, is that 17? I think, let me see if that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. If you could get, please ask 17, and let's see. Um, just start at 20. Just give me, please, 27 and 28. Okay, I got that for you, Linda. Also, um, John 4 and 23 and 24 is uh, worship him in spirit and truth if you want that as well. Uh, okay, that would be fine. Both of them are good. Thank you. Okay, Acts 17 and 27, that they should have, they should seek after Yahweh, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, 
for we are also his offspring. Okay, and okay, I'll just deal with that first. So, um, so we're his, first of all, we're his offspring, which we never, it never occurred to us ever that we were offspring of our creator. We thought we were offspring of our family and that the creator was like something separate from us. And, and you know, a sky God or, you know, most of us acknowledge that we know that there's something greater than us and something of, you know, su superior uh, intelligence had to put this creation together and all these things like that. But we didn't really know that in him we live and move and have our being. So if you if you think about that, it's very revolutionary in your thinking because there is no outside of Yahweh. So everything that exists is spirit materialized. And yeah, and as I said, Yahweh, go ahead and get the John 14 that you were talking about real quick. John 14 and 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Yahweh is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, and so Yahweh is spirit, and we are we are exist inside of Yahweh, which is a spiritual realm. And there is no outside of Yahweh. And we say all the time that we can't, we wouldn't be able to see ourselves in if we didn't have a mirror. Um, we can't, uh, you know, get outside of ourselves to see ourselves. And that's kind of, and, and we talk all the time about Romans 1, 19 and 20, that the things of this physical creation and the things in this earth and all the examples in the creation show forth spiritual principles. Uh, they all manifest spiritual principles of one sort or another, and they're here to show us something about our creator and how he exists. So we, in him, we live and we move and have our being because we're part of him. We are, we are his offspring. And if you think about that and you think about the fact that, um, you know, the flesh profiteth nothing and which is all scripturally in there that he, he, his, he, he's saving the inner man. He's not saving physical bodies. Mm -hmm. So when you think about all the things that are happening, there's souls inside of those physical bodies that he's just taking back to himself because it's him. There's nothing outside of him. That's he, It's him. So if you look at it from that standpoint, if everything is created from spirit and everything is spirit, and, and then it, I believe in Ezekiel, it says, all souls are mine. So he, all of our souls are his and there is, you don't have your own personal soul. You don't have your own personal agenda, your own personal physical body. It's all his. Mm -hmm. So if you think about like the big picture of the whole thing, that really there's no you. And yet there's a you. I understand that because you do have a soul that's being saved or lost, but it's all Yahweh. And so he's the, you know, if he, if he decides to take out 6,000 people, it's, he's taking out his spirit, his, he's taking out his substance. It's not like he's uh, picking on people or anything. It's all him. And if you look at that fact that everything is him, 
there's nothing outside of him and it's it's all his purpose and it's all it's pleasing to him to manifest his power and it just helped me a lot because if you take people out of the picture babies and people and innocent people it's just spirit his spirit with a soul that's going to go on in eternity and so it kind of that helped me a lot in, in kind of dealing with a lot of the things of this world because you know it can be it can be rough so and go ahead i just wanted to just throw that out there and then uh go back to the scripture i'm just going to say a few things about that um, go, ahead, go ahead and read 11 and 1 for me in hebrews hebrews 11 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen okay and so uh i'm gonna try to work with this just a little bit but faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of not seen, the evidence of things not seen. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, broken down faith a lot in this class. And faith actually is Yahshua himself. He is faith. And so he is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And how, how is there evidence of Yahshua and things not seen because the Bible is set up so that it's all it's giving you a great a cloud of witness as far as that Yahshua's mission, Yahshua's um, his purpose and plan and that he's been in the creation doing everything in his purpose and plan. And it's mm -hmm. him um, fulfilling your salvation. It's not anything that you're working up on or doing. And so faith is a substance of things hoped for. That's Yahshua. And so, you know, in this in this um, class all the time, we go back to to certain tenets of the of the, the scriptures. Like, how do you have faith? Well, first of all, it's not this is not blind faith in this class. Our, our founder had a divine vision and a revelation and he said, don't believe me just because I say it. And that's most, and that's what the world does. If somebody sounds real charismatic or thinks and sounds like they really know what they're talking about, you know, and said that they have a vision or something, people believe it because they want it to, they want somebody to have that and somebody that they can feel comforted in and that, that they can work up on their salvation if they go through this person. And it's not how it works because, um, Dr. Kinley said he received this vision and revelation and he said, make me prove it to your satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And um, out in the world, uh, I don't believe any religions that I know of do any type of proof. And I know like my mother goes to church and, you know, I've tried to talk to her about this gospel innumerable times and it's just not something that's been opened up to her, but, but she goes to church for her quote comfort and camaraderie with people and basically all they learn there is she'll tell me that the the, the priest or whoever that he is gives a, a, a sermon, you know, and talks about like scriptures in the Bible and how they pertain to your life. And, you know, and a lot of it is, you know, very warm and fuzzy and 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 makes her feel good. And and, I, and it is applicable if you keep it in the context of which they're working in. But it's not the big picture of the true reality of the thing. So what we do down here is we learn about our creator and get me, please. 
Uh, first of all, give me First uh, Thessalonians 5 and 21. I've got First Thessalonians 5:21. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Yeah, and that's that's what we do down here. And Dr. Kinley said, you know, make me prove it to your satisfaction. And we talk all the time about how so many people have come into this gospel trying to get someone else out of the gospel that like their their loved one that they think is in a cult or something, and mm -hmm. they end up staying and loving it and and not getting their their person out of the gospel they end up coming into the gospel because it's a powerful thing when it, you're shown something from your creator that no one else has to offer and so prove all things hold fast that which is good so that's what we're down here doing is proving the gospel proving the um authenticity of everything and improving that there is a creator and a savior. And um, I'm going to get a few scriptures just kind of that pertain to this. If, if you don't mind, I'm going to get Deuteronomy 19 and 15. Deuteronomy 19 and 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Correct. And I'm going back to, the, to Deuteronomy because we talk all the time that the law is the first five books of the Bible. And then the prophets are from uh, Joshua to Malachi, I believe. And then the um, from the flyleaf and Matthew all the way to the end is the fulfillment. So if there's a principle that's that's in this if in this truth, the principle has to be threaded all the way down through the law and the prophets and the fulfillment. So it's basically saying here, like under the law, that they're um, for the mouth at the mouth of two or three witnesses let the matter be established. So mm -hmm. somebody can't just come and say something without proving it out with many witnesses. And there's, and as I said, there's a great cloud of witness and this book is just loaded with, with witnesses to back up all the spiritual principles that Yahweh uh, wants us to know and how he exists. So, um, so get Isaiah eight and 20. That's another one that's real, real pertinent. Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Correct. And the law and the testimony, if it speaks not according to this word, and I'll just, I'll just uh, sidetrack just for a second. The word, the word is not a Bible because um, people call the, you know, the Bible, the word, it's not a Bible, the word if you look on the screen that's there, I'll just, just say this really quickly, just so it's more clear. Yahweh's spirit up in the left, and he is attributes. He not he doesn't possess attributes. He's the attributes themselves. And they're righteous attributes, and there's sub-attributes, and, uh, you know, a myriad. It's just those are kind of some main the main attributes, but he exists in spirit. 
And as we say all the time in our class, that we have no way of discerning spirit with our natural senses. And so Yahweh, of course, creating us that way knows that. And so he took on an Eloistic shape and form to the right mm -hmm. there um, that you could see the man standing there in the white area. And then he transformed right next to it into a tabernacle. And that was Yahweh Elohim. And um, I can prove that, too, by just get me, please. I'm sorry to call a lot of scriptures, but um, get me, please. Exodus 24, starting at 9 through 11. Exodus 24, 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the, do you want the King James Version or? Oh, that doesn't matter. Whatever. Okay. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw Elohim and did eat and drink. And and she's using Elohim. And Elohim is the, um, the word that the creator, Yahweh, uh, chose for himself in that state and form. Elohim is is his name for the word or or son, and so uh, so they saw and it says so. This explains right there that they saw something that was an Eloistic shape and form, and it was a heavenly body. It wasn't a physical body, and in its clearness, which basically shows forth a spiritual body. And then if you look at the bottom right. There's Yahshua on the cross, and um, and he and that's still Yahweh. Yahweh exists in one. Yahweh is a unity. Zechariah fourteen and nine, and there's a lot of scriptures I could pull for Yahweh is a unity. So there's no Trinity. There's no Trinity in the Bible. Yahweh is not a Trinitarian concept. He is a unity. He exists in three manifestations, which would be pure spirit. Eloistic shape and form and Yahshua um, physical body. And these three are one. And we liken that to H2O is in three states. There's many, everything is, is three, but one in this creation. And so that's how he exists. And so he, um, and I don't want to get too much off onto this, but um, so that that's, um, and going back for a second, but anyway, so he's three, but one. And I'll pull John 1 and 1 in a minute, and I'll just kind of show that again. But in, still in Isaiah 8 and 20, going back to that, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, this word is Yahweh Elohim, who also is Yahshua, but Yahweh Elohim is the word. And so, and there's so many examples in the Bible, how the word came unto the prophets and, you know, and Yahweh Elohim spoke all through the Old Testament to Moses and and everything like that. So the word is Yahweh Elohim. And so he came down to all the prophets and said, you know, to Isaiah, the word came unto me saying, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all through all of the, those books, the word came unto him. The word came unto him. And whoever even thought about, like, what's the word coming unto him? You don't even think about those things. But once you come down to the school and know and learn something, you're like, oh, the word, you know, and then you hear a lot of times, you know, that, uh, you know, Dr. Kinley had a divine vision and revelations 
straight from the creator. And and most of us probably were like, yeah, really? Yeah, that sounds just so hokey. But if you go back all through here, the word came unto them. The word is a vision. The word is, is a vision and a revelation at that time to whoever he was working with. So the word came unto Jeremiah to to show what he needed Jeremiah to do or Ezekiel or Moses or Noah, you know, all of that. So anyways, that's they, if they speak not according to this word, which is Yahweh Elohim, it is because there is no light. And we always say light is synonymous with understanding, you know, like, oh, the light bulb went off in your head. And um, and also in the Zondervan, it says uh, they it refers to light as revelation of truth. So it says it is um, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word or Yahweh Elohim, it is because there is no light or revelation of truth in them. So that's how this God, this this um, class and this and this um, institute is is different from the world because we prove there's the existence of Yahweh, how he operates and just throwing out for some, I'm not going to work with it, but just throwing out for a second. Um, when I said that Yahweh is three, but one, a unity, not a Trinity. Um, uh, I'm going to get, if I could, John one and one, just to kind of show that a little bit. John one and one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh. The same was in the beginning with Yahweh. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Correct. And, uh, and uh, go ahead and just do one more. Couple in more. him was life, and the life was the light of men. Yep. And go ahead, five. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And then 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so basically, this is backing up uh, Exodus right there, because, uh, you know, there's there's. There's one creator, Yahweh's a unity, and it says, I have many scriptures to, to say Yahweh telling us that he's a unity. He's saying that he is. And in the beginning was the word, is what I just showed you there on this on the, um, the chart there. And the word was with Yahweh, and the word was Yahweh. So right there, it's telling you that that's your creator in just moving in and out of his purpose to fulfill his purpose and plan of what, what we were, what his um, plan would be. And that in him was the life and the life was the light of man, meaning, I mean, that's a whole nother lecture in itself that he has to be in you in order for you to receive an inheritance, but I won't go there at this time. But so he had in him was life. If we have to be in Yahshua to have life from an eternal standpoint, not a physical, I mean, a physical standpoint also, of course, but we're talking about our eternal life. And the life was the light of men, and he's the light of men, which the light is the revelation of truth, you know, and the light is the understanding. And the light shineth in darkness, and we know that we can just see in this world that there's so much darkness, 
And when you see some light in this world, it's such a clear manifestation of Yahshua. You know, just the the comparison between light and darkness. Well, from a physical standpoint, of course, but from spiritual and from manifestations of people and and just behaviors and everything is just so it's just so clear you know and and when and when all these things happen all the time you know and 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 all the all these people are always trying to find out what the motive is for why somebody did something well the motive is they don't have any light in them or any anything they're the mystery of iniquity and so and it's just but obviously they don't understand that and i don't want to get into the mystery of iniquity but just to, to put out there. That's funny because when you talk and you, you bring out this gospel, so much stuff shoots into your head that you, you say things and then you really need to back them up. But I'll just say that, um, I'll just say this, that there's one, I said at the beginning that Yahweh is spirit. There's no, nothing but spirit. And Yahweh created darkness. That's in Isaiah. We don't need to get it. He created darkness and evil. And, and he did it as contrast. And there's two mysteries in operation, which is a mystery of righteousness and a mystery of iniquity. And so when somebody's out there shooting up the place or whatever they're doing terrible, it's because they're the they're in the mystery of iniquity, because whatever you manifest is what mystery you're in. So just throwing that out there, just I won't go any farther with that. And then on 14 the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's at the bottom of your screen. That's Yahshua. Um, but it's really Yahweh because these three are one. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. And we still behold his glory now um, from the spirit. And um, so I just wanted to just kind of back that up from that because it's totally contrary. Well, everything in this gospel that we learn basically is, 180 degrees different than than what the world knows and understands and that's why we are just so thankful to be in this class and to be able to impart what we know and what we understand and we just hope to always keep getting more understanding and more growth and it's a whole growth process um all right so go back if you could to um i'm gonna go back to hebrews 11 and 1 you don't have to read it but I just want to go back to there for a second. So faith is Yahshua. And the only way that you're going to have Yahshua is if you be in him. And the only way you're going to be in him is if he basically chooses you because you can't do anything on your own. It says all through the scriptures that uh, he chose you. You're not choosing him. And you, you have so many examples. You can use Noah you know, he chose Noah to to build the ark. And so he could, um, you know, bring, uh, take out that age and save some souls in the ark. And we liken the ark all the time to Yahshua because he is the ark of salvation. And um, and you've got Moses and you have um, you have like all down through. I was trying to think what I was going to say about that. But anyway. Um, so my point is that Yahshua is is the substance and evidence, and he works through. Uh, oh, I know how it was, what I was saying. So he you, Yahshua has to be in us, and the only way Yahshua is going to be in us is if we have a knowledge and understanding of him, and we can't do that on our own. He has to um, do it for us and get us, 
if you could just real quick, John 17 and three. And Five minutes, Dr. Volpe. Okay, thank you. And then when um when I when I first understood this or or read this and heard this, and basically it's like every scripture, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like not only did I not know it was in the Bible, but I never, even if I would have known it was in there, I wouldn't have understood it. But uh read 17 and three. Well, actually start at one, because one through three, please. John 17, 1. These words spake Yashua, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And yes. this is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true Elohim, and Yahshua Messiah, whom thou hast sent. Yes, and this was so revolutionary, not the same word again, but it's amazing the things that we learn in this class. And and I and I just want to go back for a second. I didn't even touch on this, but I'm going to just say it in case um, there's a question about it or whatever. Um, just when Yahweh took on shape and form up in that next to the pure spirit at the Eloistic shape and form. Um, uh, actually, I'll go back to that in a second. Um, I was gonna, my, my brain was stripped. I wanted to explain something and I forgot what it was now. My brain goes a million miles an hour. I'm going to go back to John and hope I remember that. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so this is right here in itself what I was saying that um, Yahweh has given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou, the father has given him, which mm -hmm. goes back again to, we cannot, um, work up on our salvation. We can't save ourselves. There's the father. Yahweh gave Yahshua, the son who really is Yahweh himself, um, eternal gave him the power of eternal life to as many as the father gave him. So there's a specified amount and that Yahweh chooses. And, and number three, it says, and this is life eternal that they might know thee. That's what life eternal is. It's not uh, doing good works and um, whatever, bake sales and, and all those things are really good. But life eternal is to know your creator, know Yahshua. And when you know him and you understand him, you become part of him and you are in him. And that is life eternal. And we never knew that. We thought life eternal was some esoteric thing that uh, we didn't really understand. And that if we're a good person and go to church, maybe we'll get it. And being a good person is great and all that. But life eternal, you have to know your creator and in spirit and in truth. And that, that scripture denotes that there's truth and there's not truth. So uh, I know I'm like talking really fast and everything but when you start going you like try to get all these things in and then you realize you have to say other things about things so i appreciate the time and i'm trying to remember what i was going to say about the elohim thing i can't remember it at this moment but um i guess i will uh relinquish the floor at this time and i appreciate the time and hang in there everybody and um it's an it's a fight to the finish and yashua is your strengthen your power. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Volpe.
And our next speaker will be uh, from the Ithaca branch, Dr. Greg Prestis. Good evening, class. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I think uh, I'd just like to go back to the scripture reading and just pick up a couple of things that have already been mentioned. Go ahead, Dave. You want to start in one, Greg? Yes, please. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of Yahweh, so that things which are, which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay, so... Um... Linda's already taken us through through this, um, but I just wanted to uh, work with this for a minute. So uh, in verse one, uh, Paul is pointing out that faith is the substance of things hoped for um, and the evidence of things not seen. Now, could we get a de definition um, for hope, I'm just going to try to take this slowly, and uh, time generally goes pretty quick. Almost there, Greg. Okay. Um, I have it too. Hang on. If it lets me hope. go back to hope, trust, reliance. Desire accompanied by expectation of fulfillment. Okay. So um, a lot of times we find that the words that are used in the Bible, um, when you get into it a little bit and come to an understanding of what's being talked about, that it's a little different um, than the way we sometimes use these words just in our in our everyday uh, existence. So, you know, someone might say they hope for this, they hope for that, I bought a lottery ticket, I hope I win the lottery. Um, but you wouldn't really say that you expect to win the lottery. And um, so re read that again, what you had, Dave, please. Hope, uh, trust, reliance. So, go ahead. With hope, we're talking about trust, and we're talking about something um, that you actually rely on, not just um, a frivolous desire that you really have no reasonable expectation of receiving. I mean, you buy a lottery ticket, the odds are one to uh some number of millions that you're going to win and so you can't rely on it and you don't really uh you're not really able to trust so trust and reliance go ahead 
desire accompanied by expectation of fulfillment. Now, so you surely we would desire to win the lottery, but that desire is not accompanied by any reasonable expectation of fulfillment. And again, it goes back to the word uh, trust being associated um, with with this principle of hope. So uh, the expectation of fulfillment, is that what it said? Yes. Okay. Go it ahead. Also, it also says something hoped for, one that gives promise for the future. Okay. That's all I have. Okay, and then um, in the Webster's Online, uh, Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, uh, I have just a slightly um, variation on what, what you've already said, which is to expect with confidence or to trust. So when we talk about hope, in the context of eternal life, immortal glorification, salvation, uh, the deliverance from bondage that's shown here on the Moses chart, um, the, the Israelites being in bondage to Pharaoh in this area here that's shown um, in black is showing forth the principle of bondage. Um, and then that can be extended even to today, being in bondage to ignorance, being in bondage to deception and, and so on. Now, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, um, Linda's already cut to the chase and mentioned the fact that um, the Holy Spirit is, or Yahshua, is faith. But I just wanted to um, take a step back and, and, and work through this a little bit. Now, when it talks about the evidence of things not seen, and there's a scripture where Paul talks about Hope that is seen is not hope. Does, does anyone know where that is? Oops. Let me take a quick look. Romans 8.24. Okay, great. Um, could you hold your place here, Dave, and could somebody get over to Romans? Got it. Romans 8, 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Okay. Um, but if we, I'll go ahead too. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Okay, thank you. Um just trying to get over there. So we're, we're talking about um, trust, confidence, expectation, all associated with hope. Um, let's actually uh, go over to 
I'll pick it up at 818, if you would, please. Okay. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. So what we've come to learn in these classes, and for a long time we um, used to make a distinction between knowing and believing. And the reason for that is that the word itself, to believe, means to accept something as true. But it's possible for you to act as if you believe something, act as if something is true, without really knowing whether it's true or not. And the knowing that something is true or not takes us back to this principle of witnesses and evidence. So Paul, um, Paul had a direct experience. Let, tell you what, I'm just going to take the time. Um, is it Acts, the ninth chapter? Yeah. Um, Okay, let's just pick it up at one and read, if you would, one verse at a time. I'm going to skip around and let's just get a little background on Saul. Now, um, some some places in the Bible he's referred to as Saul, which is a Hebrew his Hebrew name, and then um, in other places is referred to as Paul, and Paul is the the Greek. Uh, for for the Hebrew Saul. So it's the same individual. Uh, Acts 9 and 1, please. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of Yahweh, went unto the high priest. Go ahead, read 2. And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Okay, now Saul was um, educated in the Hebrew religion, and you can see here he was a person who was given authority. And uh, at this point in time, Acts the ninth chapter, which is shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahshua the Messiah, Paul is in the process of persecuting uh the early Yashuans, the people that, that followed Yahshua when he was alive, and the people that received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and, and thereafter. Now, Paul was a Jew, uh, and he was educated, and he was given the authority to persecute um, the Yashuans. And there's other places where, where he talks about it. I, I don't want to try to dig all of that out. But you see, when we read the Bible, and this is something that um, until I came to these classes had no absolutely no idea at all what was in the Bible or what the Bible was about. Um, it really is important that we understand who's speaking and um, who they're speaking to, 
when they're speaking, and so on and so forth. Now, Paul is making a statement where we read before about um, the unseen. And so I just wanted to go back and show how Paul had some direct experience with the things that we're talking about. Verse 30. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. So Paul's on his way to Damascus because um, he's looking for men or women that uh, were, were following the teachings of Yahshua. And in following the teachings of Yahshua, they were not being obedient to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Hebrew uh, religious leaders of the day. And so as he's journeying there, all of a sudden, uh, he experiences uh, a phenomenal experience. There's a, a, a light suddenly shown uh, from heaven. Read verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? And he uh -huh. said, Who art thou, master? And Yahweh said, I am Yahshua, whom thou persecuteth. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. One more. And the trembling and astonished said, Yahweh, what wilt thou have me to do? And Yahweh said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Okay, so I don't want to go take the time to go all the way through this, but you see, Paul had... Um, a direct experience with Yahweh Elohim or with Yahshua the Messiah, much as Moses did, much as John the Baptist did, much as our founder did um, in his vision and revelation. And so this is the perspective that Paul is speaking from. Now, if we could go back to Romans 8 um, and 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, you see, how does Paul know about that? Is this was, Yahshua revealed himself to Paul, and everything that Paul taught was a direct result of the things that Yahshua revealed to him. And it was shown to Paul that the things, and, and Paul actually suffered quite a bit. He was persecuted by the Hebrews, he was run out of several different towns, he was um, shipwrecked, and he went through many um, trials and tribulations. But he reckoned that the sufferings of the present time were not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Read. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. Now, earnest expectation, you see, we're back to hope. So the earnest hope of the creature is waited for the manifestations of the sons of Yahweh. And through this gospel and through this teaching, um, that's what's been revealed to us, is that there, Yahweh has a purpose, and that the, the, um, the goal or the result of this purpose is not 
merely what's manifested in this present life that we have, but it's manifested in the spiritual qualities that we're looking for um, to carry on uh, in the next creation. So that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, one um, one of the aspects of this teaching that, again, um, is very important and powerful is uh, the principle that we find in, in Romans um, 1, 19 and 20. So let's go ahead and, and just take the time to read that. I know everyone's familiar with it. Romans 1, 19. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even so, in eternal power and Godhead. So here again, we're talking about invisible things. We're talking about things that can't be seen. Because truthfully, um, you can't see spirit, you can't see Yahweh, you can't see Yahweh Elohim with your physical eyes. And Yahshua, uh, walking around in the flesh, um, he was crucified 2,000 years ago almost, so we haven't seen him. Now, um, we just read in, in Romans 8, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. So that's a state and condition that we find reflected in the physical creation, and we often go um, to this example. And you see, it's not just a matter of reading the Bible. It's a matter of understanding what's in the Bible. And the Bible is not the only source of information about Yahweh's purpose. As we just read in Romans, the, the physical creation, Yahweh created this creation in such a manner as to reflect himself and to reflect the operation of his purpose. Um, and so we know that the tabernacle is threefold with a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. The migration of the children of Israel was threefold. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were delivered into the wilderness where they spent 40 years, and then they were delivered into the promised land or Canaan's land, um, where you have the dedication of the temple and the completion of the 490-year cycle from their delivery from Egypt. Then when you look at the Adam, uh, just as the tabernacle had a sanctuary and a court that went round about it, the Adam has an inner structure called the nucleus. And the, just as the tabernacle had two compartments, the, the nucleus of an atom has a proton and a neutron. And then just as the court went around about, went all the way around the tabernacle, uh, you find the electron shell of an atom goes all the way around. And it's actually the interactions of the electron shell with other atoms that forms molecules and is responsible for um, basically all, all chemical reactions. 
then the cell, uh, again, you have the nucleus of a cell, and then you have the cell body. And then within the nucleus of the cell, you have the DNA, which is, um, as it were, the spirit or the mind of the cell. You have the RNA, which is the operation. I mean, every cell in your body, with a few exceptions, has your complete genome, your complete DNA, representative of Yahweh or spirit or the cloud. But only a small portion of that DNA is active in any particular cell, and that's represented by the RNA, the messenger RNA, the transfer RNA that's generated from the genes that are actually active, and then also the ribosomal RNA, which migrates down and forms the ribosomes. And then you have in the cell body, you have the ribosomes and the mitochondria, um, water vacuoles, oil vacuoles. And so you have a threefold cell, you have a threefold atom, you have a threefold migration, and you have a threefold tabernacle. Now, see, this provides us with um, witnesses to the consistency and witnesses to the operation of Yahweh's purpose. You go to the Bible for the pattern. You go to the Bible for the migration. You go to the Bible for Noah's Ark, and you find out the three stories. But then you go to the science book, and you find out about a threefold atom, and you find out about a threefold cell. Now, for the most part, most of the creatures that exist in the world um, are born as babies, they grow up to be whatever the adult is, and then uh, they have offspring, and then they pass away. I mean, that's how it is with humans, that's how it is with mammals, that's how it is with most things. But in the insect world, you have moths and you have butterflies, and they show forth a different principle. Now, um, I just jumped over to this because we can read in the Bible that um, the suffering that Paul reckoned that the sufferings of this present time were not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And you see that statement is representative of a confident expectation or a hope of um, the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. And then um, I don't want to run and get all these scriptures. I've only got about uh, looks like 12 minutes. But um, you find out that uh, John, in, in 1 John, he makes the statement that, Beloved, now are we the sons of Yahweh, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So you see, how can we have trust and confident expectation that something like this is real and not just imaginary. I mean, I know in this class we read the Bible and we've learned for the most part that uh, to understand and even prove the validity of the Bible and the consistency of the Bible. And for us, the Bible presents us with information and facts about the purpose of Yahweh, which we co can corroborate, not just by reading what Paul says, but by going back to the law of Moses, um, we had the Moses chart up there earlier, going back to the um, prophets, the, the testimonies of the various prophets, all of whom had visionary experiences with Yahweh Elohim, 
um, just as Paul did and just as we're reading about. So this teaching is, is really amazing. The gospel of Yahshua, the purpose of Yahweh, is truly phenomenal. And we really are blessed to whatever extent that Yahweh has revealed to us his, his reality and his existence and the operation of his purpose. So the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to need that scripture in 1 John, I just realized, because I'm not going to get much farther than this point that I'm working with. Um, does anyone? Here, let me see if I can find it. Um, Now are we the sons of ah first John three? Thank you. First John three. Uh one and two. Okay. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of Yahweh. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now remember, Paul is talking about in Romans that the whole creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. So right now, um, well, go ahead, read verse, read verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of Yahweh, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So you say, now are we the sons of Yahweh, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be, or it's not yet made manifest, or it's not yet evident um, in the material world. See, to the world, Yahshua looked just like anybody else. Paul looked like just anybody else. We look just like anybody else. But um, you see, there's something is going on. There's a promise. Now, um, let's go back and reread 8 and 18. Romans 8 and 18? Yes, thank you. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, Paul had quite some experience with some sufferings. And if you look at what's going on in the world, there's a lot of suffering going on. You look at what's going on with us in class, a lot of people are suffering. And so this is not a light statement. Um, and this is really quite a revelation to be able to realize that um, whatever it is we're going through, that it's just a part of Yahweh's purpose, as terrible as it is, and it's not even in the same ballpark as the glory which shall be revealed in us. But that is not seen. That requires trust and confidence. That requires faith and hope. And it's through the preaching of the gospel that Yahweh is revealing his son in us, Yahshua, and that manifests um, in terms of trust and confidence. And that allows us to be at peace 
in the midst of these trials, or as Paul says here, to reckon that whatever it is we're going through is not even, um, can't be compared to the promise that that we're, that, that we're looking forward to. Um, go ahead, read 19 again. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. Okay, so I've got seven minutes, so I don't need a warning unless um, unless my timing is off, uh, and I just need to wrap this up. Now, uh, so I reckon, Paul reckoned that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us, for the earnest expectation, the trust and the confidence and the hope of the creature is for the manifestation of the sons of Yahweh. And now we are the sons of Yahweh, but it doesn't yet appear. It's not yet manifest. And, you know, we could all the way go all the way back to Paul talking about Abraham and how Yahweh called Abraham the father of many nations before Abraham had had Isaac. And it, Paul makes the observation that he calls the things that are not as though they were, because Yahweh has a purpose, and he's declared the end from the beginning. Now, um, if we go over and look at this butterfly, and what we have pictured here is the monarch butterfly, and monarch is a, is a word for the king. And so we find out that... Um, the mother butterfly lays an egg, and she lays that egg on the milkweed plant. And the milkweed plant is bitter, and it's called milkweed because if you crack the leaves open, the sap runs like, um, like milk. And the caterpillar, the monarch caterpillar, feeds on that um, bitter uh, leaves of the um, milkweed plant its entire life. And um, it grows from a tiny little thing, you know, almost like a thread, maybe a quarter inch long, to uh, a caterpillar, of, uh, a mature caterpillar, which is, um, I don't know, two, two and a half inches long, uh, at least two inches long. Um, and so within that caterpillar, it has what are called the imaginal disks. And those disks contain the blueprint or the DNA for the adult butterfly. And I don't think it takes uh, much to see that if we look at this caterpillar crawling around, and then you look at a butterfly eating the bitter milkweed, and then you look at the butterfly flying around and um, sipping nectar from the flowers, that you can see the principle of a glorified being here with the butterfly and a lowly um, earthbound creature. I mean, caterpillars, monarch caterpillars don't fly. And... Um, the milkweed, like I said, is very bitter, and that bitter substance that they eat actually provides a protective um, 
aspect because um, birds have learned that the monarch butterfly is um, very bitter. And so it acts as a protective shield against predators. And so um, this lowly caterpillar crawling around, all it does is eat, um, is transformed from within by those imaginal discs once it enters the chrysalis and becomes this beautiful and glorified creature. Now, if we um, have three minutes, if we go back to the Moses chart, you see, and, and the migration, we see how the children of Israel were slaves. They were bondage here in Egypt. Then we see how um, Yahweh delivered them through Moses into the wilderness, and they spent 40 years um, in the wilderness. And then um, Moses passed away, and Joshua led them over into Canaan's land. And then, as I'd already mentioned from that green chart there, at the completion of the 490 years from their deliverance from Egypt, you have the dedication of that glorious temple. So you have a transformation from um, bondage. And this tabernacle was weather-beaten. It was covered with skins, much like, um, could we could we get uh, Peter, our earthly house, and then I'll finish with that. And then uh, that tabernacle, the vessels of that tabernacle were migrated from the tabernacle and then carried out into the temple. And that temple was covered in gold and jewels and represented a glorious structure. So the glory uh, was revealed here in the temple and the glory is revealed here in um, the monarch butterfly. And this larva carries around with it the 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 essence of the butterfly, the imaginal discs, the DNA of the butterfly, but it's not made manifest, just like beloved, now are we the sons of Yahweh, but it has not yet made manifest. And so through the preaching of the gospel and through the consistency of the law and the prophets and through the witnesses, we've come to have confidence in the existence of Yahweh and we've come to have confidence in um the purpose of Yahweh. And so we have the hope or the earnest expectation uh, for Yahweh to manifest the glory of his sons that we have now in these earthen vessels, um, this treasure that we have in, in earthen vessels. Did you find that in Peter about the earthly house? Uh, I'm not finding it at this moment. Does anybody know? All right, let me take a Second Corinthians 5.1. Oh, oh maybe. I thought it was Peter, but it might not be. Um, earthly house. Talks about an earthly house. Oh, yep. It's Paul. Paul strikes again. Second Corinthians 5 yep. 1. Uh huh. Uh, for we know that if our earthly house of this. Now, see, this our body is our earthly house. This caterpillar, that's the earthly, that represents the earthly house. Um, and we know that if our earthly house, read. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of Yahweh and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And you see, that's exactly what happens. This butterfly, when it reaches, uh, this caterpillar, when it reaches maturity, enters the chrysalis and it's dissolved. All the caterpillar 
the, the skin hardens and all the caterpillar organs and everything dissolve and they reorganize around those imaginal discs and it's transformed into this light, beautiful winged creature. So we know that if this earthly house is dissolved, we have trust and we have confidence that we have, if this building of the tabernacle is dissolved, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And that's what we're looking forward to in the next age. And that's what's typified here by uh, the temple and by that butterfly. And I thank you very much for this opportunity. I hope that made much sense. And I turn it back to the moderator. Thank you very much, Dr. Prestis. And our next speaker, it's my pleasure to introduce the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe. I want to say good evening to everyone, to the class. And I just want to make sure, of good course, evening. can you hear me okay? Yep, we're good. Okay, great. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, I thought that the first two speakers really did a nice job uh, bringing out, you know, some of the aspects of faith and, and the importance of it. Uh, I want to continue in the same uh, light that they did and, and work with faith a little bit. Now, first of all, let's talk about uh, the faith and what it represents and where, where it's stemming from. Now, I want to turn over, if one of my readers would please go over to Galatians, the fifth chapter. And I want you to go down to uh, Galatians. Hang on for a minute. I'm having a problem here with my, my Bible phone, <laughs> my phone Bible. Uh, but anyhow, let's go down to uh, verse, uh, let's see. Let's go down to verse, I think it's 23. Galatians 5 and 23. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what book are you in? Galatians 5 and... I'm in uh, uh, King James. I'm sorry. I made a mistake here. It's, it's, it Asian is Galatians 5, but it's verse 22. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. My mistake. But the fruit of the Spirit... Yes, that's what I want. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. All right. Now, I wanted that read for this reason. That faith is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just something you acquire, as it were, with a carnal nature or a carnal mind. You're not acquiring faith. Now, people do have faith in things from a manifestational uh, standpoint. We're not arguing that because every, every principle or every attribute has to be made manifest in order for us to comprehend uh, the true essence of the principle or of the attribute. Now, what I want you to know was said by uh, Greg, and, he's, and, and I want to just go ahead and, and confirm that, that Yahshua is faith. Now, the reason for that is because it's a sub-attribute. Now, what we have is we have the divine attributes that we obviously all have been taught, which are the nine divine attributes. Those nine attributes do branch off into sub-attributes based on uh, their connection to that particular attribute. Now, faith is a result 
Uh, first of all, the fact that we have knowledge, knowledge of Yahweh that is being given to us by the foolishness of preaching, that Yahweh then opens up our understanding of the attribute of divine knowledge. That knowledge uh, causes us, first of all, to have, uh, let's let, uh, go over to Proverbs, the first chapter. Uh, and I want you to talk, I want you to go in there where it talks about, uh, uh, it's in the first few verses. It talks about uh, uh, the To know uh, wisdom? No, I want to get to, uh, hang on for a second, I'm sorry. My brain here is operating at a very uh, low-key level today for some reason. <laughs> And, uh, or the fear, or the fear of Yahweh. Yeah, that's. I want to get to. That's what I want to get to. What what verse is that? That'd be one in seven. All right, that's what I want. Okay, Proverbs one seven. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Now, but fools. Now that's what I wanted to show you. That knowledge causes us to have a fear. Now the fear is not a dread. What it is is it's respect and awe. That's what it is. And that knowledge causes us to come to the realization. This is why we have that respect and that awe. is because we come to the realization or conscious awareness that Yahweh truthfully exists. And the magnitude of what we're dealing with through that knowledge of the Father, the knowledge of Yahweh that is uh, being uh, demonstrated by uh, both the Eloistic form and Yahshua when he walked in the flesh is teaching us something about the divine attributes or the divine nature. Now, that kind of consciousness will cause us to walk in a degree of respect and honor towards our Creator. Now, that then also coupled with the attribute of divine love causes us to have faith. Because faith is a result of that knowledge and understanding that we're getting now in this gospel. And because we have been given a heart to love Yahweh, love is grounded primarily in trust. Now, Greg talked about trust being one of the other aspects that define faith. Now, it takes love, and we know that when we love, truly love somebody, uh, Typically, when we establish that kind of a, a, a unity with a person and, and we feel love towards that person, that person is endeared to us because we trust them implicitly. And trust is hard to find in this world that we live in now. We know that the world has gone awry and we know that people, you just don't know who you can trust anymore. I mean, everything that we deal with in this life is pretty much a scam, you know, there's scam artists every day. That's why every day your computer has to update with new virus definitions because somebody's trying to steal from you. Now, faith is trust. And trust is a result of love. And love comes about because of knowledge. It, as we used to say in this teaching, to know Yahweh is to love Yahweh. So the attributes are, are, are working in a cohesive aspect of the operation and the purpose that generates a sub-attribute. Now, when we talk about divine love, for an example, which is uh, an attribute, not an emotion, that divine attribute also is also fruit that we see uh, demonstrated here when we read again in, uh, Pro uh, not Proverbs, i got to go back now to Galatians, 
Let's see if I can get back over there for, real quick. Okay, Galatians 5.22, uh, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Those things are sub-attributes of divine love. That's what they are. And Yahshua is love. He is the personification of the love of Yahweh with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. That's why he is so uh, worthy uh, to be praised and to be honored. Now, uh, Yahshua was walking around demonstrating that and manifesting that divine love towards his father. And we know that when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to sweat and he was knowing that he was going to suffer greatly. And, and uh, Greg talked about the sufferings of this world, and I'm thinking about what Yahshua must have suffered knowing what they were going to do to him. And he said, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Now, what that shows you is that there was a will that Yahshua had. If it, if, if, if it were possible, he would have avoided that suffering. But he knew that the Father had put that in the purpose to demonstrate that uh, Yahweh's great love, that wherewith he loved us, that he gave his only begotten Son. And we read that over there in John, the third chapter. So that had to be carried out. And Paul talks about in Hebrews there, the 12th chapter, where he talks about that uh, 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 we're surpassed about by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And he talks about Yahshua run the race with patience. And Yahshua was willing to for, look over, look past the suffering for the joy that would come afterwards. Hmm. Now, it's the same thing when a woman is having a baby. I've been told. I'm not, you know, I haven't had that experience. But the truth is, it's a painful thing. But the joy of having that child causes them to as it were suffer those things knowing the joy that is set afterwards now uh let me let me try to show something about this faith thing that i want to get to in the respect that it is true righteousness under this new covenant now first of all let me show you this uh uh get for me in a minute the ages chart if you want mine All right, the dispensation in ages. Now, we know that Yahweh set up that covenant over there in that third age. And it was set up 1,500 years before the advent of the Messiah. Now, that covenant was set up for people to have, as I, I'll say it this way, but it really it, it, it's, it's, it's not exactly that way, but let me say this. They had an opportunity to establish their own righteousness. Now, we also understand that Yahweh had never intended for them to be able to establish their own righteousness. Now, I'm not going to give a lecture on that tonight because I only got a, not a lot of time. But what I want you to know is that everything that was prophesied about the new covenant that was about to come in Jeremiah 31, 31, and also in Ezekiel 36, 24, going forward, has to be brought to bear on the day of Pentecost with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want you to see is that if the Holy Spirit was prophesied and was going to be 
uh, operating within those people from the day of Pentecost, everything that happens is a fulfillment of what was in the scriptures. And Yahweh told them that. He said that I will put my spirit in you. I will give you a new heart. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments. Now, he prophesies that. Now, in the Old Covenant, Yahweh never promised to give those people a new heart or to put his spirit in them. That was not part of the Old Covenant. It was part of what would happen under the New Covenant. Now, what I want you to see is in order for Yahweh to witness properly to how the New Covenant will be after the day of Pentecost, there has to be manifestations of that that are in the scriptures, in other words, the law and the prophets. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That those people went out, in some cases with good intentions, to try to keep that law, and fell short of it. They were not able to establish their own righteousness. The scripture says there were none righteous, no, not one. But yet we look Back before the law, before Yahweh spoke in a law to the people, they were operating basically at that point on the law of the conscience that Yahweh imbued within every man. Now, what I want you to see is when we read tonight, we read tonight examples of Noah having faith and righteousness as a result of it. And we know that Abraham was another example that was talked about tonight of having faith, and accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I want to make something clear here. Dr. Kinley told us that the Holy Spirit has been walking down from through ages and dispensations of time, manifesting in one vessel after the next. But we also know we were taught that it was only temporary. It was not permanent in, this, in the second and third age. It was not a permanent state. It was only something that would last to a certain point that that person would die devoid of the Holy Spirit because if anybody had the Holy Spirit and had it right through death, they would have not needed a Redeemer. But Yahweh didn't give the Holy Spirit to them or the conscious realization that the Holy Spirit was moving them within at that point. That's why in the tabernacle, get me the tabernacle real quick uh, if you would, uh, uh, Greg. In the tabernacle, there was that veil that we see parted there like a curtain, but truthfully, we know it was a solid sheet. We didn't know that until Dr. Kinley corrected us way back in the 70s about it was a solid sheet. It wasn't split in the middle. But what we find out is what, what did that veil purpose did it serve? What it did, it blocked those such as the low priest. From being able, they could go up into that holy place, those low priests, and do the work that they had to do in there, but they were not able to penetrate past that veil. Now, when you're standing in the holy place, it's holy. You are in the presence of holy things, you know, like the, the, the vessels and so on, and the operation of the tabernacle. However, getting past the veil is only accomplished after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahshua the Messiah and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the high priest, who was a figure of Yahshua, making an atonement, goes past that veil. But the low priest can't get past that veil. Now, in the same respect, the low priests are, are manifested by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets can take you up 
to Yahshua, but they can't take you past the veil, which means just by you reading, and it was said tonight, that reading the Bible isn't going to get it done. You've got to understand it. Now, people have studied the Bible for centuries. And back there, the Jews would, uh, uh, the Pharisees and the priests would comb over the things that were written and still not understand it. Peter talks about this over in, I think it's 2 Peter, the first chapter, where he talks about the men that were inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit. Search diligently the things that they wrote. But they ministered unto us and not unto themselves. This is the way Peter's explaining it, which means it wasn't revealed till after Pentecost, at Pentecost, and then they were brought over under the new covenant, uh, waiting for their Redeemer in the grave, as we say, and brought over under the new covenant after Yahshua accomplishes his death, burial, resurrection, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings all into one accord. Now, what I'm trying to show you is that the Holy Spirit was operating down through those first three ages, incarnating in one body after the next, but it was veiled, meaning they didn't understand the Holy Spirit that was actually moving them uh, from within. And that's why, that's why uh, Paul writes in Colossians 1.26, he says, even the mystery which was hid. Now, the veil hides what's behind it, obviously, which is the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of Yahweh Elohim. Now, that, that was hidden, that mystery, but is now made manifest or revealed. Uh, that is Yahshua in you, the only hope of glory. Now, faith and hope go together because uh, 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 Greg showed you how faith is a, a reasonable expectation. Hope goes along with that. You have the hope of immortal glorification. We haven't been immortally glorified, uh, yet we have an immortal. We have an immortal condition now that's going on because our soul has been uh, uh, quickened by the Holy Spirit, but we have not been glorified. So the immortal glorification is coming down at the end of this age. So we have a hope of that and a reasonable expectation, and we have faith in the promise that Yahweh has given that we will receive an immortal glorified body, which is our tenth aim. Now what I'm trying to show you is the, the operation of the Holy Spirit had to be manifested in vessels back there before Pentecost. Now let me, let me give you some examples. Go back over... Uh, uh, to, uh, well, let's go back to the elementary chart. Then I can use, do both things on one chart. Not the elementary. I'm sorry. I wanted to do it on the ages and dispensation chart. Because I want you to be mindful of these ages. I, you know. So what we got is we have the second, the, the antediluvian and post-diluvian age, and we read about men that did things, and it was counted to them for righteousness. Now, here's what I want to say about that. I'm not trying to slander Noah or Abraham, but I'm going to use, or even Moses. I'm going to use him for an example as well. And I could use David as well. But here's what I want you to know. It was not Noah's righteousness. It was not uh, Abraham's righteousness. It was the Holy Spirit that was within them causing them to have that faith that they demonstrated so that later we would understand that by receiving the Holy Spirit, we will have then that 
fruit of the Spirit, which is faith, hope, and all those things. Now, what I want you to know, that was Yahshua in, that was Yahshua in Noah that caused him, and Yahshua is the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget that. He's the Holy Spirit in a body or out of a body. Now, it was the Holy Spirit in Noah that caused him to move with fear, as we read, to the building of the ark and trust in Yahweh, go in there seven days before it rained and wait for the rain to come. It was the faith uh, it was the Holy Spirit that gave Abraham faith to believe the promise that he would have be the father of many nations. It was Yahweh that gave, that was, uh, I mean, it was the Holy Spirit that was in Moses that caused him to go up there in the mountain when the Israel sinned and Yahweh said, step aside that I might destroy this nation. And Moses stepped up and said, um, uh, basically, I'm going to put up my word. Uh, uh, forgive them and just blot my name out of your book of life. And Yahweh alone said, no, your name's not going to be, and I'll be merciful to whom I'll be merciful and whom I harden, I'm going to harden. Now, my point was, he was willing to sacrifice himself for sinners, for people that committed sin. He was willing to die for them. Now, that is the Holy Spirit causing that reaction within Moses. All of this is ultimately going to point to Yahshua the Messiah. Because when we trace the Spirit down through these bodies, it's just not a matter of, oh, I had this vision, let me tell you what was told to me, and I write it down. No, there's more involved. We're seeing the operation manifested of the divine nature. But we have to recognize that no human ever had any righteousness of themselves or of their own. Yahshua is the only one that is righteous. Why? Because he is the divine nature. That's what right that's the definition of righteousness is the configuration of the attributes that are manifesting itself in the purpose. That is the only righteousness. Now that's why without Yahshua, you being in Yahshua, Yahshua being in you, you have no righteousness of your own. And when Paul made the statement in, in, over there in Romans the tenth chapter. He said, my heart, desire, and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Well, what kind of knowledge? These guys, these Jews knew all kinds of stuff that were in the Bible. He says, for they, being ignorant of Yahweh's righteousness, have gone about to establish theirs. And he talks about further the righteousness which is of faith. Then he talks about how faith is acquired, unless a preacher is sent. Because faith cometh by hearing. Now, the hearing doesn't mean that your, your tympanic membrane vibrates and you heard the sound. What it comes by is understanding. Hearing, when we say, do you hear me? I, uh, in my case, forget what I do every time I get up and say, can everybody hear me? I'm talking about when it comes to expressing knowledge. And if I say, do you hear me? I don't mean, do you hear my voice? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, uh, that's what hearing, one of the definitions in Strong's Concordance for to hear is to understand. Now, understanding comes by the Holy Spirit revealing something to you that causes it to be so uh, apparent that you can't help but believe it. That's the over overwhelming experience of a revelation. It's not like you're going to sit there and decide, well, gee, Oh, you know, well, should I believe this or not? When you have a revelation, you can do nothing but believe. 
And it takes Yahshua to open these things up in your heart, too. Now, your heart is an integral part of the process of believing. Over there in the book of Romans, Paul says, if you will confess Yahshua with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Now, the heart he's talking about isn't the carnal, hard heart that you walk in the door with. We all walk in the door dead on arrival. We're carnally minded. We have a carnal nature. Doc said we come in with a physical body, a carnal mind, and a satanic spirit, meaning we're, we're in captivity to the deception of the devil. But what I want you to see is your heart that you walk in the door is incapable of penetrating spiritual things. Why is that? Over in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, I believe, or second chapter, he talks about how the things of Yahweh are not able to be understood by somebody with a carnal mind. They cannot penetrate spirit. So what causes us to believe when we come down there? Is it your carnal mind deciding, well, I think I believe this and I believe in Yahweh. And tell me how you do that when you have a nature and a mind that is incapable of knowing the things of Yahweh. It takes the Holy Spirit to give you a new heart, a heart that is not a stony heart, which under the law was defined in Deuteronomy that a stony heart was stiff-neckedness. He said, circumcise therefore the foreskins of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Now we find out that Yahweh said in Deuteronomy 30 and 6, he said, I will circumcise your heart to love me. Then we find out that when Yahshua was about to take them into Canaan's land to receive their inheritance, he was instructed to circumcise those men that were going to go up there to receive their inheritance. Now, why does Yahshua have to do that? Well, Yahweh sets that up because Yahshua, the son of Nun, although we know who he really was, was playing the part of a figure of Yahshua the Messiah when he would come in. And therefore, showing you that you cannot circumcise your own heart. It takes Yahshua to cut away that stony heart. Now, the stony heart can't receive the things of Yahweh because it's stiff-necked, because it will not accept correction. It will not be humble and bow to the truth. That kind of heart does not please Yahweh, and it doesn't work under the new covenant. You have to have a new heart. Just in the same way, the caterpillar isn't going to ever be glorious with that old caterpillar body. Those imaginal discs that, 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 uh, that Greg was talking about completely, completely conform or convert that creature into a new creature. New eyesight, new everything. And what I want you to see is the heart is the is, is the heart really, ladies and gentlemen, is, is the uh, uh, depths of your soul is the heart of who you really are. You need a new heart. You need Yahshua to cause you understand to bow to the truth when you hear it. Now, many people have come to class and had this experience where they came down there to disprove it, to show that it was wrong. They walked in the door with the intention of showing that this stuff is, is, is hooey, all right? But while they were there and they were listening to the speakers, something happened that they did not anticipate or plan. Something changed them in the middle of their course of trying to carry out their purpose. All of a sudden they realized, you know, I've never heard anything like this before. Yes, I, this is the truth. 
something had an impact. In other words, there was a metaphysical force that caused a change to take place sitting right there in the chair. A change of heart, we would call it. And so the heart has to be changed, and the new spirit has to be given to you with that heart for you to comprehend and understand the things of Yahweh that are being preached. And when you have that experience, you then believe in your heart, in Yahweh and Yahshua, his salvation. And that is your causing you then and driving you to be a witness for the truth, to do that which is pleasing to Yahweh, to do his will and not your will. And this is what we want you to see, that faith, ladies and gentlemen, faith now under the new covenant is the fact that Yahweh, by his operation of love and revelation, that is causing us to trust him with our very lives, to stay grounded in the teaching right to the end, even though things are getting harder for everybody. Uh, the world is just becoming a difficult place to live in, and we know many of us have health issues, money problems, all kinds of stuff, uh, relationship problems. But we have to turn to Yahshua. Why do we do that? Because we believe he's in control of all things. And we believe that he can deliver us from any situation and circumstance. That faith is a result of what has happened to you when you sat up under the preaching of this gospel. And we need to come to class, all of us, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, which means to be reminded of the things we already know, for to be brought back to our thinking, our awareness, that caused us to continue on to be ministers and witnesses for Yahweh and Yahshua. That's what we're doing down here, ladies and gentlemen. We're witnessing to the truth that has been uh, revealed to us, and we're willing to suffer persecution and Paul talks about all the things he went through, how he was shipwrecked, he was uh, beaten, he was put in jail. They did all kinds of things to Paul, but he was willing to suffer it all because he was on his way to Damascus with evil intentions, and he was stopped cold in his tracks where he was caught up in eternity and received a vision and subsequent to that, a revelation. And we know that that changed that man. It caused him to have a new heart. His heart now is, what can I do? What, what, what would you have me to do? He was willing to do anything that Yahshua asked of him because he realized how wrong he was. And, and it even says in Ezekiel that after we receive that new heart and that new spirit, further down, a few more verses, it says, you shall look upon your former ways and loathe yourself in your own eyesight. I tell you, that really does happen to all of us as we, as we start to see the divine nature and the purity of it and we recognize things that we used to do. We start to feel a sense of almost shame and remorse that we ever did any of those things. We're, we're ashamed. I, I did that. I can't believe I did that. But you know what? We've repented. We don't do it. Once we understand how wrong we are, once we realize what we have to do is we have to take low, be humble, accept correction and chastisement, and hope that Yahshua will forgive us and be merciful unto us. That's why we have to forgive one another. 
if we don't forgive each other, if we're not willing to give the same forgiveness to our brethren when they wrong us, then what makes you think Yahshua's going to give you forgiveness? He talks about a parable about how that somebody that was forgiven then didn't pass that on to their fellow servants, and the king called him in there and rescinded his forgiveness to him or his mercy. I don't want Yahshua to rescind his mercy towards me. I can tell you that right now. And if it means I got to come over and, and hug you and, 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 and tell you how much I care about you and love you and take low, I'm willing to do that because I don't want Yahshua to rescind his mercy against me. I'm going to tell you that right now. And all of us should have that grounded in us. We have to have faith that if we do these things that Yahshua has shown us and commit, committed to us and revealed to us, just as Joseph down there in Egypt did not seek revenge on his brethren, but when they thought he was going to kill them, he broke down and wept because he thought, well, didn't you know that Yahweh had to cause this, me to be sent down here to provide food for you all? In other words, he was fixated on the purpose of Yahweh and found forgiveness for his brethren and truly loved them. And I want you to know, again, that was the Holy Spirit, not Joseph. Because that's what Yahshua was doing for us. If we don't manifest those things one to another, then it's not real with us. And I can tell you this, and I'll tell you this, Dr. Kinley, oh yes, he was a, a marvelous, fantastic teacher and opened up many things to us. But I'll say this, and I told somebody this just recently. If I sat around that man and heard all those great things that he said and then saw him not manifest it, I wouldn't be sitting in this room tonight these 53 years later. That man manifested what he said. He walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. And I got you, I got, I'm telling you, it was a witness to me that this thing was real because I saw it reflected in his conduct, his attitude, his deportment. Now, in the same regard, he's no longer here in the flesh, but Yahshua's still within us. We have an obligation to be, to manifest that divine love to one another and have faith that Yahshua will keep us in his mercy down here at the end and deliver us up with him at the end of this age, and give us an immortal glorified body that none of us earned. None of us really deserved it. It's by his kindness, his love, and his graciousness that all of us are going to be a recipient of that new body at the end of this age, and be glorified in him. Now, all I'm going to say about faith, ladies and gentlemen, faith had to be manifested all the way down through for us to understand the Holy Spirit nature being demonstrated. And after Pentecost, it has to carry on with us now having a conscious realization that Yahshua's in us. And so with those words, I hope you got something out of that. I'm handing it back to the moderator. I thank you all for the opportunity. I want to thank all the brethren that tuned in on YouTube, both the Syracuse and Oceanside. And uh, peace in Yahshua. Uh, I'll hand it back to the moderator. Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Volpe. That concludes this evening's lecture, and we'll conclude with a um, doxology taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude.
Now unto Yahshua, who alone is able to keep us from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise Elohim, our Savior, to Yahshua Messiah, our Sovereign, along glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and for all times, we'll all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah.